Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, or whatever it is that you use to follow along with us. During the month of January, we're going to preach a three-part series entitled My Covenant Commitment. I hope that sounds familiar to you. We've been doing this series since 2015. Uh, I was surprised a little bit to see how long ago we, we started it. It seems like just a few months ago that we developed the titles for these sermons. But uh, I, over the years, as you know, have... Uh, preach through books of the Bible. And one of the reasons for that, uh, of course, is because I believe we need to have a firm grasp on what the entire Word of God says as best we can, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, I have also taken, I guess, some, some pride in the fact that uh, I don't repeat a lot of sermons. Uh, when you're preaching through books of the Bible every week, you move on to the next text and uh, you don't often have opportunity to go back, and then you move on to the next book, and, and on and on it goes. But over the years, I have learned the value of going back and, and preaching a, a sermon that I have preached before, perhaps even multiple times. Uh, you get a better and better, deeper and deeper grasp of what it says. And so I hope that today, this uh, you won't look at your text and say, oh, we've done this before. I already know what he's going to say. Uh, but rather, you'll simply let the Lord speak to you in a clearer, uh, perhaps deeper way. Uh, the three sermons that will be preached uh, today, we're going to talk about our, our persistent participation uh, in the ongoings of our church, the gatherings of our church. And we're not just talking about Sunday morning, although I believe we could certainly emphasize our Sunday morning gatherings, but anytime we gather together to worship, we, we are uh, doing our PM services. We'll be scheduling those again for the year. Of course, we have a weekly Wednesday night service that we would invite you to come and be a part of, and there are always other times and gatherings that we would hope that you would participate with us. So we're going to be talking about that this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. Neil will pick up next week and talk about our sacrificial service, how each one of us, gifted by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, who has given us these wonderful gifts, is to employ those gifts in service to the church. And it will demand a sacrifice on our part. Uh, and we should be eager uh, to, to sacrificially serve our church. And then, of course, the final message will be on financial faithfulness, uh, which, uh, again... Uh, I've been criticized over the years. I'm not quite sure that it's uh, some of the criticism I received over the year, valid criticisms, but this one not so much. Uh, I've, been, I've been accused of, of talking about money too much. Um, I don't know that we really do that around here too much. I mean, we take an offering every week, so I guess every week we do mention giving, but uh, this is something that every Christian needs to be reminded of. Uh, there's a passage of Scripture uh, in Titus, I, I'm going to refer to here in just a moment. Uh, and, and that whole passage, Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy, uh, with his new church, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to remind your people of these things. 
Uh, and so I don't believe there's anything wrong with our being reminded of things that we've already heard, that we already should know, uh, because we are people who tend to, to forget, uh, to kind of tuck some knowledge away and not refer to it much anymore. And so this is going to be a reminder today of the importance of gathering together as a body, of participating in the worship gatherings of your church. And uh, so, with that, let's read together. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I believe the words will be on the screen here at the front. If you have no other way of following along, please look there. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. And then we're going to look at these, these verses together. Father, we are so thankful for this day, Lord. And, and we know that this day is a day that should be lived in anticipation of that day the day when Christ returns. Father, I pray that our lives would be characterized as those who are looking for, longing for, loving the return of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that perspective would have a profound impact on the way that we live our lives on a daily basis and the way that we spend our time gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you. And I thank you for all of those who have gathered here today. I thank you for those who have gathered around their television or their, their iPad or their, their phone and are watching our service today on our live stream. I'm so thankful for all of you. Uh, and I pray, Father, that uh, you would continue to increase those numbers, even as you increase the numbers who gather physically with us here uh, in this sanctuary. And so, Lord, we just lift this passage of Scripture up to you. We thank you for it. We know that this is a, a passage that we have read before. We have heard it preached before. Uh, but today, Father, just impress upon us anew uh, the significance of these words, the importance of our obedience to them. And as always, Father, we pray if there's someone here in our midst today that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that today would be a day of salvation. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that I'm going to talk about today is, is the motivation for gathering. What's your motivation for being here today? And, and the reality is, if we could go through the room, every one of us might say something a little bit different, what it is that, that motivates us to get up on a Sunday morning, a day off uh, for most of us, a day that we don't have to go to work, uh, to get up early rather than sleeping in, to, 
to, to maybe not spend as much time over a cup of coffee as we might if it were uh, another day, uh, to get ourselves dressed, to get our kids up out of bed, get them dressed, and bring everybody to church. What's the motivation for that? And of course, the writer of Hebrews deals with that. And of course, we're, we're picking up in chapter 10 of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews has been making an argument for, for 10 chapters now uh, for the superiority uh, of Christ and the new covenant over the old covenant and the Levitical priesthood. Christ, of course, is exalted throughout these verses as our great high priest. And again, we even read this here. He is our great priest over the house of God. That's the argument that's being made. Uh, and, and, and now he says, in light of all of this that I have argued concerning Christ and the new covenant as being far superior to the old covenant and the, and the Levitical priesthood and its sacrificial system. Now, in light of that, therefore, brothers, uh, and, and again, I just want you to notice that word, brothers, brothers and sisters, this message is to the people of God. Uh, this isn't an evangelistic passage of scripture. Uh, again, we could say that all of the Bible is evangelistic in the sense that it points to Christ and the sacrifice that he made in behalf of sinners, providing a way for us to, to find access and, and a relationship with, with God. But this is a text that is meant to encourage the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, this whole letter of Hebrews was written to the early church, um, to those who had come out of Judaism, had trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, but now because of the persecution that had begun to come about in their lives, were tempted to go back to their old way of life. Following Christ was hard. Uh, it, it brought about difficulties that they had not experienced before. They were viewed differently by their communities. They were viewed differently by their own families in many cases. Uh, they were beginning to experience being ostracized, uh, no longer being welcome in some areas or contexts of their lives where they had never felt unwelcome before. And so their thinking was, well, I'm just going to just go back to the way that things were before all of this. I'll go back to Judaism. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, don't do that. Don't, don't go back. Any, any sacrifice you're called upon to make, any suffering that you will endure for the cause of Christ is, is well worth uh, whatever it costs you. Uh, and, and so, again, that's the context in which these words are written, written to believers, believers who are struggling, uh, believers who are wondering, just what is it that I've gotten myself into? And he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Again, that's a statement that if we just read in isolation here, nothing out of the ordinary for us, nothing profound. But, but for these early Christians, these Hebrew Christians, this was something that... Uh, again, was deeply significant and very different uh, from what uh, they had ever heard before. This idea of having confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The one thing that New Covenant Christians, and that's us, we're New Covenant Christians. 
we as New Covenant Christians have something that our Old Covenant counterparts never had. We have access, as the scripture says here, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood did something for us that the blood of bulls and goats could never have done for our Old Testament believers. We now have the privilege of entering into the presence of God on a continual basis. I want you to just stop and think about that for a moment. We asked the question as we began to sing, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? You know, there are places in this world where you and I can't go. It's off limits to us. I mean, my goodness, in as insignificant a spot as sometimes, have you ever been to the back of the grocery store and you get to that back double door and it says authorized personnel only? And I think to myself, my goodness, what could be back there that is so dangerous for me to look at? Why am I not welcome in the back? Well, I may not be welcome in the back of Walmart, but my father has welcomed me into his presence. That's the idea here. What is it that motivates us to gather together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Tuesday afternoon or, or whenever it may be for a prayer meeting or a, or a Bible study? What is it that, that motivates me? Well, we have been given this wonderful access to our Heavenly Father. And again, it's something that if we're not careful, church, and that's why we need to be reminded of this, we begin to take it for granted. It's just the way things are. I know I can bow my head and pray anytime, anywhere. I, I know that. But let me tell you, for those who were the original readers of this letter, this was, a, this was something that just blew their minds. I mean, for the Old Testament Jews, they could approach God and they were called upon to approach God. But their approach to God was limited. They could enter the temple, but there was only so far that they could go into the temple. And then beyond a certain barrier, only a priest could go. And then beyond that, only the high priest could go. And the vast majority of priests never served as high priest. And it was only the high priest that could actually go into the Holy of Holies where God dwelt there over the, the Ark of the Covenant in, in his glory and presence. It was only the high priest that could do it. And he could only do that on one day out of the year. So the old covenant system limited our approach to God, but under the new covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our access is full, complete, continual. Uh, we can go before the throne of God's grace to find comfort, to find support and encouragement. Uh, we can gather together as a body of believers and enter into the worship of God, acknowledging his presence in this place. Don't, don't think for a minute. I, I know the writer of Hebrews here is referring to those, to the holy places in the sense of, of the heavenly holy places. And, and again, that's indeed what we have access to. The very person and presence of God. 
I've said this over the years, I may as well say it again today, you know, the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as our intercessor who makes intercession for us. And, and a basic understanding of that word has to do with prayer. Jesus prays for us. You know that Jesus prays for you, right? But he is also our intercession in the sense that he is the one who provides us with. He is our access to God, almost as if what Jesus said in John's gospel, that I am, I'm the door. Jesus is the way to the Father. John says he's the only way to the Father. He, as our Savior and Lord, has opened the way to the Father for us. As he died on the cross, his body rent. Uh, at the same time, that great heavy veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was rent as well, torn in two. That's what verse 20 refers to, this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh. It was Jesus' death on the cross that has now given us this access, this wonderful privilege of entering into the presence of God whenever we need to. I think sometimes we forget how much we need to. You know, one of the things that we have read over the years is that it's not, you know, when we're talking about attendance, church attendance, uh, we've, we've probably said this from the pulpit, it's not that less people are attending church in 2024, but it's that people are attending church less. So I just ask you to think about it for a moment. How many, how many Sundays out of the month do you gather to worship God with us? And I would just say this, if you want to make a New Year's resolution, don't worry about your weight. Make a New Year's resolution to be here more often. To gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ. To enter into that corporate worship. I mean, there's just something wonderful about gathering together. Did, did you hear yourself singing today? It's just something wonderful about this. You, you can't get sitting on a pond in the middle of the most beautiful mountain range looking at the glories that God has created all around you. There's, there's something different about this. And, and God intended it that way. So we have this wonderful motivation of being able to enter into the very presence of God. And you know, one of the things that we find is, as we read the Old Testament, that that high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies on that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, tradition tells us that, that they would tie a rope around the ankle of that high priest. And they would sew bells to the bottom of his garment so that as he moved around in there, they could hear him. And in the event that those bells stopped tinkling, <laughs> they could drag him out without going in after him. To enter into the presence of God was a holy, awesome thing. I mean, the closest we probably can understand it is when Isaiah has his vision of God high and lifted up. And what does he say? He doesn't shout for joy in there or glory. He says, oh, woe is me. It was a terrible, a fearful, an awesome thing to enter into the presence of God. And it still should be for us. We need to know this great privilege that God has given us. The wonderful thing is that in spite of all of that, Christ, by his death on the cross, 
has not only become our access to the Father, but he has become our advocate with the Father. So when we enter into the presence of God, you know who we find there? We find Jesus there. We don't enter alone. John 2.1 says that if we, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I've actually heard people say that they're not in church because of some thing that they've done. They feel guilty. They feel ashamed. They don't come to church. They don't feel right worshiping God in light of their own sinful actions. Well, let me tell you, when you're feeling that way, that's the time you need to be in worship most. And even though I know it's difficult, when we enter into the presence of God, we find our Savior, Jesus Christ there, our advocate. We may feel guilty. We may be accused by the devil himself. Our hearts may accuse us before the Lord. God is greater than our hearts, and Jesus, our advocate, is waiting there for us. Again, to remind us that he died for us, that he took our sins away. He separated them from us as far as the east is from the west. And so we have these great motivations, and these aren't the only motivations for gathering together on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but these are the two that are prominent here, so very different from what our Old Testament brothers and sisters had available to them. It should, it should compel us to be faithful to church, to be here. You know, you, you, I hear people sometimes say, and it's usually when they're adults, and it's oftentimes even at a memorial service, and they're talking about their father or their mother, and they'll, they'll say, you know, we were one of those families. We were in church Every time the doors were open. You know, it seems that we have less and less of those families. Less and less of those families. I would, I would challenge you to be one of those families in 2024. So we have this strong motivation, this wonderful access to the Father, and this great priest, Jesus Christ, our advocate who stands before the throne and pleads our case. In light of that, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How is it that we should gather? All right, what, what, what manner should, uh, or, or what... What perspective? How should we think of these gatherings or even ourselves as we come to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, this, this gathering is a gathering that involves our affections. One of the things that I know is true, when Jesus Christ saves a person, he changes the things that you love. You suddenly find yourself loving things that you didn't love before. Loving God. As a matter of fact, the two great commandments of Scripture are to love God with all your heart and mind. Love your brothers, your, your neighbor as yourself. That's what God does for us. When Christ saves us, He, well, the Bible says He gives us a new heart. A heart with desires that were not there before. 
affections that were not there before. Our gathering should be motivated by a, a genuine devotion and love for God. That's why we come together. We come together because we love the Lord. We come together because we love God's word. We come together because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we draw near together in worship. That's the manner in which we, we gather. We gather together in love for our Father who loved us and saved us, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have entered into that relationship with God, into the very family of God that we are all a part of. We're, we're the body of Christ. We gather together for that reason, loving God, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and he says we do that in full assurance of faith. Our gathering is an expression of our faith in the true and living God. A question that I get asked on a somewhat regular basis these days is about cremation. Increasingly, people are cremating their, their deceased loved ones. And often in the church, I, I get asked, is, is, that a, is that an okay thing to do? And, of course, I, I kind of qualify my answer. I, yes, I guess it's an okay thing to do. God's not going to have any problem finding your cremated loved one or putting them back together, rejoining their body and their spirit. Not going to be a problem for God. But Christian burial has forever been an expression of our faith in God an expression of our faith in the resurrection. We lay our loved ones, our Christian loved ones, to rest, knowing that when Christ returns, those bodies are going to come up out of the grave. We face them east, because somewhere along the line it was decided that Christ is going to split the eastern sky, and we lay our loved ones to rest facing east, so that when Christ returns and they rise up out of that ground, who are they going to be facing? They're going to be facing him. So Christian burial is an expression of our faith in the resurrection. Our gathering together is an expression of our faith in the true and living God. An expression of our faith in His Word and our desire to know His Word. I mean, that's one of the hallmarks of our worship services, right? It's the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that doesn't matter whether you're here on Sunday morning or whether you gather with us on Wednesday night or whether it's our, our early uh, hour uh, our, for our Sunday school classes and and and. We're, we're opening the word of God, reassuring ourselves that God is who he claims to be and that we can trust what he has said, uh, that his promises are true. One of the things I hope you get out of every worship service is this encouragement that you can trust the Lord. You see, I, I know that we all just went through a, a time of celebration, right? We celebrated Thanksgiving, we celebrated Christmas, we celebrated the new year. But you know, now that we're into this new year, some of us are kind of looking ahead and thinking, wow, this may, this may be a tough year for me. And all I can say is this, you can trust God with this year. We're all a year older, right? Just that brings its own challenges. Uh, so many of our members that we pray for on Wednesday night are people who I would say are in transition. They have lived independently, led their families, 
supported their families. And now they find themselves in a position because of age or because of failing health that, that now they need someone to help them a little bit. That They even are facing the prospect that they may not be able to live in their home that they have loved for so long. They may have to make some change. Let me tell you, you can trust God with that. You can trust God with that. He's faithful. His promises are true. We are assured of our faith when we gather together. We've already talked about our, our acceptance, why we are welcome here. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. One of the, I'm, I'm preaching through Hebrews, teaching through Hebrews on Wednesday nights. And one of the things that we have emphasized in our understanding of, of Hebrews is this idea that what Christ has done for us, he has done this wonderful inside out work. The old covenant was an external covenant. It was an external rule or list of rules and laws. Uh, everything was external. The sacrificial system, it was all external. It was temporary. It was partial. But the new covenant is something very different. Christ changes us from the inside out. He gives us a new heart. Your hearts have been sprinkled. Really, they've been replaced. Your old stony heart has been replaced with a heart of flesh, a heart that is receptive to the things of God receptive to the, the needs and the interests of others that maybe before you, 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 you couldn't have cared too much about. So our hearts have been sprinkled clean. And then not only that, but Christ dying on the cross for us paid the price for our sin. And again, as I mentioned a moment ago, he took our sin away. He satisfied God's wrath, took away our sin, and then rose again to take his seat at the right hand of the Father, again, providing us with this wonderful access to the Lord. Uh, so when you think about it, this is what God is... Why in the world, again, would the highest king welcome me? What right do I have even to enter into the gates of heaven? We all think about that. One day when we die, we get to go to heaven. What right do we have? as the stories always go, to expect Peter to open the gates and say, come on in. What right do we have? Well, let me tell you, none on the basis of our own righteous works. But the right that we have is because of the work that Christ has done. He's forgiven us of our sin, taken away our sin, clothed us in his righteousness. He has made us fit for heaven. We were not but now we are. We have been made fit to dwell with our Heavenly Father in His presence forever. And even more remarkable than that, when it speaks of our hearts being sprinkled with God giving us a new heart, not only did God make us fit to dwell with our Heavenly Father, but by giving us this new heart, He has made us fit for Him to dwell within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now that's motivation to gather together and worship God. That's how we gather. Knowing we're accepted. Again, you're welcome here. And if someone has made you feel unwelcome, well, shame on them. Because in God's eyes, as one sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness, you are welcome. 
And then he says, thirdly, he said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Again, our gathering is this affirmation of our confidence in God, that God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him in faith, right? That's what our gathering is. We are affirming our faith each time we gather together. Again, that we are a people of of God's word. We believe his word. We walk in God's word. We trust in God's word. We stand upon the promises of God. That's what our gathering together is all about. That's how we are to gather. And then really the main part of the message is in these last couple of verses. He says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There it is. Not neglecting to meet together. Let me just say this. I am so very thankful for the fact that we live stream our services. So very thankful. There are those of you who are watching me right now who could not be here today, who could not participate in this worship service any other way than than what they're doing right now. So very thankful for that. By God's grace, we will always live stream our services. We will always upload them uh, to our YouTube channel so that they can be viewed I guess forever. They say anything you put on the internet's there forever. I hope these services are there forever. But if it is possible for you, come back to church. Come gather with us right here in this room. Come sit on these chairs that you purchased. Come sing with us. Come join us not neglecting to meet together. We've, we've gotten into bad habits. COVID's produced some bad habits in us. Have you noticed? And one of the bad habits that COVID has produced is, again, just a lack of attendance in church. For so long, we didn't feel like we could come safely gather, and now we've just decided not to come. Don't do that. So our mandate for gathering, it's a mandate. It isn't an option. Church is not an option for us. God has brought us together, not only in a relationship with him, but in a relationship with one another. So that's why he says, when we gather together, we do so, and we are to consider one another. It speaks of a thoughtfulness, of an awareness of others. It's easy to go through life if, if we choose to do so, and just kind of go through with blinders, not noticing what's going on around us, not taking much interest in what other people are going through. Let me tell you, everybody's going through something, at least periodically. And as believers, we need to take notice of that. We need to consider one another, not just ourselves. You know, so often people come to church and and, and they'll, they'll act, they're actually bold enough to come say, well, we're visiting your church, and here's what we're looking for. And, you know, we, we want to provide people the things that they're looking for. We, we want to have a great children's program, youth program. We want to have those things. We want to have worship opportunities, missions opportunities. We want to have those things that most people, most Christians are looking for. But the writer of Hebrews says what we ought to be looking for is one another. Consider one another. Think about one another. Think about what your presence here does for the rest of us and what our presence here does for you. 
And then as we consider one another, we're to consider how to stir up. The word means provoke, stimulate, incite. Uh, that word's taken on kind of a, a bad connotation. But we're to spur one another on. We're to, we're, to, we're to provoke one another, and not in a bad way. You know, some of us are pretty easily provoked. This is talking about provoking one another in a good way. We're to, we're to stir one another up to, to love and to good works. Again, love speaks of that sacrificial service that Neil's going to preach to us about next week. We serve the Lord by serving one another in the church, utilizing, enabling, or, or engaging with the gifts that God has given us. So we stir one another up to love. It's my responsibility, and not just mine, it's your responsibility to provoke one another to love and, and to good works. These deeds, what are, what are good works? Good works are, are deeds that honor God and bring glory to Him. That's the good work that we're to be involved in. It's the good works that God Himself has prepared for us. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. We're God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works that God himself has prepared for us. There is a work that God has called you to right here in this church. And we need to be stirring one another up to engage in that love and good works. Encouraging one another. The word encourage is a word that means to, to come alongside of others in order to help them. And every one of us in this room needs help with something, don't we? We all do. We all need help with something, and we all have the ability to help with something. We need to do that. We need to encourage one another. This is, this is God telling us how we are to worship Him. And then finally, those words, not neglecting to meet together. None of this is possible if we stop meeting together. If we stop coming to church, none of this is possible, at least not to the degree that God wants it to be. You know, one of the great blessings that we have experienced over these years since the pandemic is even though our attendance has declined significantly, thankfully our giving has not declined in the same degree. Uh, people continue to give. And it's a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful for those who give online, for those who mail in their tithe checks. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But just because you can put a check in the mail, don't neglect coming together with the body of Christ. Come. And again, as is the habit of some, we've, we've developed bad habits. And when we, when we fail to participate in the corporate gatherings of the church, we're basically saying we don't care about these things. We don't care about these people. And I'm not talking to those of you who cannot gather. There comes a time in all of our lives when I suppose we will reach that stage where we are no longer able to come to church. And again, I'm thankful if, if you're home watching so very thankful for that and still participating to the degree that you can. But for the rest of us, come to church. Come back to church. Our ministries are ongoing. 
Our missions need your help and support. Our daily gatherings, our weekly gatherings need you. Don't neglect to gather together. And of course, the scripture ends with these words. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Of course, that day is a reference to the return of Christ, right? Jesus is coming back. He promised. And, and from that moment, from that point in time, 2,000 years ago, when he promised, I'm going to come and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Christians have been looking for, longing for the return of Christ, and so should we. And here's the question I would ask you. That day's approaching. The writer of Hebrews was exactly right. The day is drawing near. It's closer than it's ever been. Where will Christ find you on that day? I hope he finds you loving him, longing for his return, serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it may not happen on a Sunday. It'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it, if Christ would return on a Sunday morning? He could. But it might be a Tuesday afternoon. Where will Christ find you? How will he find you? My prayer is that he will find you loving God, loving your neighbor, serving, faithful, trusting his word. Uh, and if you've never trusted him as Savior and Lord, let me just say once again today, repent of your sin. Turn from whatever it is you are trusting. And you know, all of us are trusting in something, right? All of us worship some something. Turn to Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. Be cleansed, washed clean, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Your body's washed with pure water. 